Hello, and welcome to Self-Sabotaging Sagas, hosted by me, your Elevation Guide, Jenea Barnes. We are here today on Self-Sabotaging Sagas, and we are going to talk about imposter syndrome. You know, that thing where you feel like a fake, a fraud, that feeling that rises up in your body, makes you feel uneasy, potentially makes you do actions that you don't want to do. We're going to talk about that. And I'm here with Debbie Meadows. She is a healer, an artist, a teacher, and a wonderful, powerful woman. So Debbie, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself, what you do, and yeah, let's bring it in. So, um, I am a walking example. Part of my life, I was a walking example of the imposter syndrome, or at least I thought I was. So I am an artist. I'm a musician. I'm an educator. Uh, the early part of my life, I was spent enmeshed in a religious cult. That was my lens of normal. Uh, I had a lot of gifts then, a lot of talents, and I, I have the same ones now. And um about 15 years ago, I my lens of normal changed. A light switched on and I left that scene. I am an educator. Um, I teach art education and um, I'm a healer. I'm a Reiki practitioner, an energy healer, carrying on a lineage of generations in my family that I just recently found out about, which is amazing. And um, recently moved from the public school system into running my own business and uh, helping teachers through stressful times and um, students too. And I'm really super excited uh, just to see what the future holds. It's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. So first I want to talk a little bit about why y'all might want to be aware of this thing that we call imposter syndrome. Not everybody even knows what it is, but Let's talk, let's jump in a little bit, Debbie, about the why we want to be aware of that feeling that we're kind of a fake or we're a fraud or we're trying to present ourselves as something that deep down we feel we are not. Some of the things that it really hinders in our lives. For me, I think uh, one of the first examples, I'm 55 years old now. And one of the first examples of imposter syndrome, although I didn't know it then, was when I was a teenager. In the third grade, my parents realized I could play music by ear. I would go to music class in elementary school. I can remember in third grade, I listened to those songs like uh, John Denver's Country Road that was really popular then. And I'd come back home and my aunt had a piano and I sat, asked her if I could play. And I sat down one night and I just started to play and I didn't know that that wasn't normal. And so that started a lifetime of being a musician. My parents had the great foresight to have me classically trained. I played as a church pianist from the sixth grade on. So I was, what, 10, 11 years old. And I had that responsibility of playing in church. And, and I'm saying this story to say that culminated in, number one, I lived in a really small rural Kentucky town. Um, and there were a lot of things in my life that people didn't know were going on on the outside. Right. Because sometimes we're raised by parents who have trauma of their own. 
and they don't realize some of the things they say can have an effect. So that was going on in my life. And by the way, I love my mom and dad. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not bashing my mom and dad, uh, but you know, it's just a fact of life. Sometimes our parents have trauma of their own. And so I can remember going to college. I was the cream of the crop as far as musicians go in my small rural Kentucky town. But I was so unable to receive any compliments. Compliments embarrassed me. They made me want to shrink back into the woodwork. And uh, like after a, a music service or whatever, people would come up to me and say, oh, my gosh, your piano playing just made me want to cry. It was so beautiful. And I, I had no idea how to accept that compliment. And I had no idea I was blocking that flow of energy in my life. So I can remember my senior recital. I played the Warsaw Concerto. It took me a year. It was like 15 to 20 pages of music that I memorized. Wow. I always had a problem with classical music because with everything else, I could hear this melody in my head. But with classical music, it's a little different. There, there's not all the time this distinct melody, you know, that's going on. So uh, I guess I probably did a hybrid of hearing things that are going on in my head, but also playing what's written. And so I... Um, had an audition for the music program at this college that I was going to. And the professor sat down and I walked in and I was sweating. I was, you know, because even though people had told me all of my life, you have this amazing talent and you can go so far with it. I did not believe it in myself at all. My gift made me anxious. My gift made me more unsure of myself because it gave me attention and, and I didn't want attention. I didn't think I was worthy of attention. And so I sat down and I played this whole thing. My, my fingers are running all over the keyboard and I'm playing this and I'm doing all of these classical scales that I've practiced a year for. And I stopped and I looked at him. I put my hands down on my lap and he said to me, you're going to do great at this university if you forget everything you've learned and completely start all over. And for me, that was the nail in the coffin because it enforced to me that I was not good enough, that my mm -hmm. gifts, it's that, it's that voice in my head that was always there. And I didn't recognize it. That voice that said, you know what, you can play, but you'll never be a classical pianist or, you know, you're okay, but that gift that you have of kind of playing by ear, that's really going to run you the wrong way, you know? So that began a life of myself questioning my ability, questioning my gifts instead of embracing the beautiful gift that I've been given. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy how we, make up these stories and they come from little pieces, little events in our life. And most of the time they're formed when we're little. Mm -hmm. It's a little thing like our parents saying something like we're working class people. And so maybe if everything in your mind, you're, you really want to be um, a singer or a CEO, an entrepreneur, right? You want to, that's what you feel inside and that's what you're driven to do. But for some reason, 
when, even when you get there, even when you succeed, you always have this inner tension in your body, like feeling like you're not in alignment with what you're supposed to be doing. And I, I, I read this post earlier today about imposter syndrome. It popped up on my Facebook feed. And I was like, oh, I should read this because I'm doing a thing on imposter syndrome later today. Right. And this person was talking about how imposter syndrome is a thing for you to look inside of you and determine where you're out of alignment, that it's this feeling that's telling you that you're doing something wrong. And so I have to disagree with him a little bit here. I think that sometimes that feeling inside that you're not where you're supposed to be can be a sign of feeling like you're out of alignment with your true values. Sometimes we're doing something like maybe that person that really wanted to be the entrepreneur and the CEO, maybe they stayed in, became an electrician instead of really following their dreams. In that case, that, that those feelings might indicate that they're out of alignment with their true values and what their true self is. But just like I think your story exemplified very easily or very clearly, Debbie, was that so often it comes from this inner feeling of not being good enough, not yeah. being worthy. Yes. Or yeah, or having a belief like if you all read my little caption about my bartending and photography in the past how for me I had this belief that I could not be a photographer until it paid my bills. I could not be an art I could not call myself an artist or a photographer until it paid my bills. But yep. that was me having a belief that was limiting me. And I can't tell you how many times people introduced me because people have this tendency. They're like, oh, these people are going to connect on these two things. So somebody might say, sometimes people would introduce me. Oh, Jenea, she's a bartender. She works at Delirium or wherever I used to work. Or, oh, Jenea, she's a great photographer. She's done this and this. And so I always embraced being a bartender. Yeah, that's what I mm -hmm. do. That's who I that's who I am. So I felt incongruence with that part of me. But if they said I was a photographer, I'd be like, oh, no, 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 you know. Uh, and, and I would shrink down just like you said. And I wouldn't, and I would shut down the connection and the communication. So if somebody knows that I do both things and they're introducing me as one or the other, they are, they have an idea that we have a similar interest and somehow it's going to click. And when you shut that down, you are shutting like wall, walls for yeah. avoiding connection and possibility. Yes. You know, I had that same, uh, had a same kind of belief about myself and I have a wonderful man in my life. And a few months ago we were talking, we get in these really deep conversations and he was talking to me about being a professional artist. You know, I have a bachelor's degree in studio art. I have a master's degree in education. I have taught people all over the world intuitive art practices. It's one of my passions. I've taught hundreds of high school students to draw, to paint. I've taught college level courses. 
and I never viewed myself as a professional artist. And it didn't dawn on me until we had that conversation because I said to him, you know, I'm never really going to succeed as an artist until I have a body of work and I've shown all over the world and sold my paintings all over the world. And he said, that is ludicrous. You are already <laughs> a professional artist. Right. People love your art. You teach. You, it, he was just incredulous. And I said, nope. I mean, we we didn't get into it, but we had this really deep discussion where I even. As much as I have recognized this in my life. There was that area that I didn't recognize it and it held me back. From you and I both know that the stories you believe about yourself is what runs the show. Absolutely. Our subconscious mind runs the show. And although I say, yeah, I've got this, I've got this work that I'm working on, you know, I, I teach and I do this. If I really think within myself that I'm not worthy, like you were talking about, of being, of having a body of work, worthy of, worthy of showing my work and of selling art. It's that extra, it's that need for external validation that I think we have to get past right. that external validation of me always looking outside myself for reinforcement and not realizing the innate value of myself on the inside. That's what it boils yeah. down to. Well, yeah, I think when you really understand that your worth comes fully from within yourself, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. Exactly. And because you can just step in and be who you are. So if I were to say to you right now, um, Debbie, you're a teacher. How does that feel in your body? Oh, that feels great. I'm a great teacher. De yeah. So see, you're very much in alignment with that. Debbie, you are a professional, amazing artist. And see, it's not that I'm not shutting down. Right. It used to be that I would say, absolutely not. I am a professional artist because I love my work. And right. if I didn't sell another painting ever, I would still be confident in my abilities. I would still know that pff, I don't need all these people telling me I'm absolutely wonderful to know that I'm a professional artist. Of course, I'm a professional artist. Right. But wow. I couldn't say that six months ago. Wow. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've let there's four things. I call it the fantastic four. I've thought a lot about imposter syndrome. I've worked with people online, especially, especially people who are, I'd say, over 30, although age has doesn't have the biggest bearing. I've worked with so many people who said, you know, I used to do this creative thing and I was so into it. And then I just kind of packed it up in a creative suitcase and shoved it back in my closet because it wasn't going to get me anywhere. It wasn't going to real world this. It wasn't gonna, those people have just stopped up the flow of their life of the of their creative energy doesn't have to earn them a living yeah it's valid just because it's a wonderful beautiful part of us but i think one of the biggest things for me was what i call the fab four <laughs> the fabulous four because in working with people online yeah i know right 
Oh, I'm, I'm a big thing on catchphrases. Um, in working with people online, I've seen over and over and over and over that these things people deal with four things all the time they deal with is imposter syndrome. It creates an anxiety in them, you know, an anxiety of, oh, I can't call myself an artist. I can't call myself a musician. I don't want this attention because we don't think we're worthy of it. Anxiety. Right. Two, we cling to perfectionism so much. So my story was. Right. I have this amazing, energetic seven layer painting process and I never, ever know what's going to come out on the canvas. I can paint in a high school classroom and my kids come over and they watch me paint and they'll say, Miss Meadows, what are you painting? And I'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> and it used to really bother them. But now they just come in there just uh, entranced by the process because I trust that process. I'm not hooked into that perfectionism. I used to say, well, I'm an OK artist, but. If I knew how to paint portraits well, that would that would just make me professional. Right. It's so further from the truth. So anxiety, profession, um, anxiety, perfectionism, self-doubt, doubting myself all the time. Am I good enough? Am I doing this right? Instead of trusting myself on the inside. And the last one I think is the biggest thing. And this is what I try to develop in my classroom every year and on my online coaching in every workshop I do. I think it's really important for people to know that they can fail. Yeah. It's a canvas. It's not a mortgage. It's not, it's not anything. It's a canvas. You can paint over it. People, people get so bent out of shape because they're not comfortable enough with the journey to take that safe risk of being able to fail. And that being well, able to, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that that failure thing and that fear of failure, again, is tied to all that worth stuff, that yep. self-worth. But the thing is, this is the coolest part and you know i've had a mentor that has told me this over and over and over again but it really kind of sinks in with this stuff is especially creative stuff but it really goes into corporate stuff doing a proposal doing this nobody knows how it's supposed to go except for you and sometimes when we make a flubbub like, see, that was kind of a flub of, I've never used that word in my life, I but like old word. me, but old me, perfectionist me would be sitting here like, oh my God, what would people be thinking about that word? It's not even a real word. I'm coming off like I'm an idiot, da, da, da. Right. but see, it kind of is a fun word and it added some fun and a little spark to the thing. And you know, so, on the other hand, somebody could be listening right now who used that word and has never heard it before and they hear it and there's an instant connection with Janaea. Wow. She understands me. You know what I'm saying? It's just, <laughs> we, we miss so many opportunities because of that. Right. Well, yeah. And again, that idea that everything has to be perfect. We're putting ourselves in this little box. Right. And if every, if anything in your life fit into the box that you anticipated it was going to fit in, would you have any joy? Would you have any fun? Because all the stuff, it's like, 
it's important to learn the rules. And you know this with as an artist and a teacher, it's important to learn the rules and the rule of thirds and all of the course. different things. Like that's an important thing, but you learn it so that you can create flow. Mm -hmm. So you have like, you build foundation and with anything new that you're trying, that's a big part of it is stepping into building the foundation. And as we are, you know, trying something new, maybe we're going from that blue collar job to something more corporate or we went and got a college education and, you know, we're trying on. It's totally OK to try on different things to get a feel what that stuff feels like. But you want to know, no matter what you're doing, you're always you and you is always, always good enough. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's see. What is another time? What's a time? What would you say are the big self-sabotage things? We've talked a little bit about how it can cut you off from connection and how, you know, that you maybe you didn't push into doing more music. So what are the big things and how are the big ways that the imposter syndrome sabotages you? Well, you know, when it came to my music, um, there were there are opportunities that I think um, the universe puts in our path because of our giftings. Um, I can remember when I was a senior in high school um, and I don't know, I guess it, I guess around the country, it would be the equivalent of like the Six Flags, the amusement parks. Now I'm telling my age because that is before canned music, right? So they had all of their shows as live music. And when I was a senior, I got an invitation to come and play for Kings Island, which was a big, big thing then. And I don't even know how they heard about my ability. I don't, I don't know how that happened, but um, I knew, I knew, I knew that my parents probably would not let me go uh, because remember I was in immersed in religion and that was that was going to be a no no. But that that I think if I had had more confidence in my abilities, I would have at least applied for it. You know, right. they they contacted me three or four times. All I had to do was respond. Mm -hmm. They heard me play. They had heard my music. All I had to do was respond. And, you know. In thinking about that, self-sabotage in the form of um, this imposter syndrome is kind of like having a crappy friend in your head. <laughs> Isn't it? Totally. It's totally. so like having a crappy friend in your head. That's, that's, that's either jealous of you or that's intimidated by you or whatever. And that keeps saying, you know, well, you know, you're okay, but you'll never be top dog or, you know, all of those voices in our head, that, that crappy friend, that just occurred to me. And that's a perfect example because I've had some crappy friends in my day, you know, that were either jealous or intimidated, like I said, by my talents. And um, then I've had people in my life who have really enhanced and encouraged my journey and my talents. And I would say that that is the, 
that is the wonderful heroic voice in my head that says, you can do this for the pure love of creating. You know how many geniuses never made money making art? Oh, yeah. But they're so famous. And, they're, and, and these people have died hundreds of years ago. I tell my high school students this. And, you know, they control their viewer's eye from the grave because of their genius use of line and shape and all of the, the elements and principles of art. And they had imposter syndrome. They didn't know what it was, but most of them did. Um, I just can't stress enough how, when it boils down to its simplest form, how the stories in our head either make us or break us. And it's nobody else's story, but the crappy friend in my head telling me I'm not good. <laughs> Well, it's so funny. So we talk about the crappy friend, right? And yeah. sometimes our crappy friends are jealous and sometimes, but occasionally they really want something good for you. Mm -hmm. And they're telling you, no, no, don't go for that. Don't do that because they're worried about you getting hurt. And so the crappy friend in your head is actually not jealous. The crappy right. friend in your head actually wants something good for you. You know, that's like, it could even be these repeats of maybe your mom's voice. Maybe your mom went after her dreams and she got so disappointed. And so now she's trying to, in, you know, the words that keep repeating in your head, she's trying to help you from going through the pain that she went through. Right. Um, but often... You. Yeah, but often these voices are parts of us. So there's a part of us that is like, yes, you can do it. You're great. You're magnificent. You're powerful, right? Right. And then there's the part of us that's like, no, don't do it. Stay over here. Don't get noticed. Don't because those parts of us happen. They break. They sort of fracture off a little bit at a certain age when we're young, and it. So it might be our five-year-old self that's actually saying, you know, don't do that. You draw attention to yourself. You know, you're going to hear mom, like I mean, what, how many people's parents have heard or people have heard their parents say things like, oh, look at them. They're just snooty. They think they are so great just because yep. they're up there on that stage. Da, 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 da. So there's this little part of us that heard that. And of course, when we're little, we think our, our parents, what they say is law. Right. And right. so we take on these beliefs. We have these moments of decision where we choose to accept that as true. And that little voice pops into our head saying, no, don't be up there. You're going to get scrutinized the way my mom was scrutinizing that lady or that man or whatever it is. And that's a big part of it. These beliefs that form these beliefs that we take on to be true. And it happens from, you know, things that we hear, or it can happen from a thing like, you know, if we have siblings and one sibling outshines the other, and then there's this like butting heads. And then so the one that outshines decides to play small so that they keep in alignment with their brother or sister, all these kinds of things that get mm -hmm. wired into your unconscious. And even though we consciously know 
that those things aren't the absolute truth. There's this other part of us that the moment we're tired, depleted, sad, stressed, not paying attention, that part's going to be like, jump up on the horse, take the reins and run away. <laughs> exactly. 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 And also, you know, it, it, it just occurred to me as you were talking, the imposter syndrome, there's so many little branches, like you said, that come off of that from so many different things that we tell ourselves that affect other areas of our life. So I was thinking a story popped in my head when you were just now when you were talking about when I took piano lessons, I was probably, I don't know, some in middle school, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. And there was a girl in our county whose family was rich. They owned half the county. And my mom always thought those people, she always talked not good about those people, you know, because innately she believed that maybe she was not going to ever make that much money or they were better than her. I don't know. But she complained because she thought they had a daughter who was the same age as me. And she thought that girl was getting more attention in the piano lessons we were taking because it was either before or after mine. I can't remember. So she complained to my piano teacher and I was first embarrassed that she did that. And second, she kept saying, you know, they have money. That's why they get stuff. They have money. That's why they get stuff. But it was the way she said it. Mm -hmm. It was the way that, I knew growing up that we didn't have money. Right. The that sabotaged me in the years ahead. And maybe, maybe Janae, you and I worked together when I uncovered that I felt that being, uh, having money was evil. It was right. bad because I thought innately going back to that place, I learned that having money is bad. Doing things, that prosperous are bad because of the beliefs that I was taught as a child. And I didn't even realize it. Well, right. I mean, this is a huge one for, and this actually really plays into imposter syndrome because now if you grow up poor and inevitably somebody's got probably got some beliefs about money or mm -hmm. people that have money. And if you grow up in this environment of people, of nobody that has money, right? And, or if they're also, if your parents are also thinking about, we're not going to have enough, we're not going to have enough, we're, how are we going to pay the bills? Are we going to be able to put food on the table? And this is the stuff that's coming out of their mouth all of the time. It's what they're focused on. Yep. Right. And again, mm -hmm. when we're little, we imprint and model our parents and we adopt their thinking until something happens significantly enough to really rip that belief out of our out of our unconscious and i mean of course that's kind of the work that i do and um the work you do with some of your layering and painting and really like uncovering what's in the unconscious and setting it free but money is such a big place of what, like, if you walked in right now, growing up poor most of your life, can you walk into a total hoity-toity, notice those, that language, a hoity-toity, really rich person event where maybe maybe you got a free ticket, right, to some charity mm -hmm. ball and they cost $50,000 a person? Now, if you look at your face, <laughs> if you grow up poor and you don't believe that one, you're worthy to have that kind of money, 
Two, you believe that rich people suck. Or three, I don't know what the third one's going to be, but um, that, money, that. that money is evil, whatever that yeah. is. Now, if you have any of that stuff running around in the background of your subconscious mind, how are you going to show up? Are you going to actually be able to, yeah, you're going to probably wallow in the corner, maybe find the one other person that's like, uh, the black sheep of the family somewhere that you're going to sit in the corner smoking cigarettes, talking trash about everybody? Or are you going to take the opportunity and be like, wow, this is like a place where I can get to know some people that maybe are running in some circles that will offer me some more opportunity. And so this is a really, with money as a big place where people show up in mm -hmm having that imposter syndrome. Yes, I mean, it is. it is so deep that 80% of lottery winners are broke within three years. Yep. It is so deep that 80% of professional athletes are broke within three years after retirement. Mm -hmm. I mean, this money belief stuff that we have and if we're worthy enough to actually receive the abundance that the world, the universe, the whatever you want to call it right. has for us, because it's there. I mean, it's obviously there. There are people that have a ton of money, so it can be done. And some of those people did it all by themselves. So because they believed they were worthy. They believed they were worthy and they believed it could be done. And they yeah. chose, they never chose to take on those and accept those beliefs about rich people, about what money means. And they also probably, here's a big thing. And this goes back to that, that post earlier, I think, when he was talking about imposter syndrome and being out of alignment, is that they probably also chose to step into things that made them feel good and expand rather yeah. than I have to do this job or I have to become a lawyer or a doctor to make my parents happy oh, versus yeah. the person that does it because they just really love it. You know, what kind of life, the two different kinds of life that are created in those two circumstances. You know, I that that's a typical that that's a, a textbook version of my life because I didn't choose what I majored in the first time I went to college. All of that was chosen for me because my parents wanted me to be able to make money. They didn't want me to be uh, in a financial situation. They were. I wanted to I wanted to take art classes in high school and my dad never would let me. He allowed me mm -hmm. to take music like band because I was be a musician, but there wasn't anything extra because my dad is an amazing artist. He can make anything out of anything. He has an amazing gift and it has made him money. You know, he doesn't do it to make money, but as a byproduct, it does. But the, when I was younger, I could, I felt like I could not do my passion. I could not live my passion because of what my parents had already decided for me. I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be either an anesthesiologist or an orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, my, they, they, I was groomed. I was bought books and encyclopedias and all of this stuff. And I told myself, I told myself that's what I wanted to do. And I got to college and I realized 
this is not me not me at all so instead of being able at that point in time to really step in myself and examine what was in my tender heart mm. and really honor what was within me i got kicked out of college <laughs> and that led me down another road you know so i and I think it's too because I talk to so many high school students that are so unsure of themselves. They don't trust right. themselves. I think the basis of getting out of the imposter syndrome is really learning. First of all, learning what that inner voice is and how to hear it and how to tune into it so we can begin to find out who we really are and what we really believe so that we can even honor where we are. And there, listen, you know, you know, I've talked about a lot about this. Janae and I have worked together before on different things and, and gone through trainings together. It's not um, all it, it boils down to what we believe about ourselves and and if we can't hear what's going on on the inside and we're so concerned with distracting ourselves with any means necessary, I've been there too. It's so, it's so readily available on social media, TV, media, computer. I've had all three computer in my hand <laughs> and TV on, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and you, you get to that thing where you're all of the time distracting yourself. So you really won't have to look deep inside and see what's going on. Yeah. It's that simple and it's that hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a big thing. It's um, when we start to feel we are so trained in this society to not deal with our emotions right and yes. the thing is is the emotions are the language of our unconscious mind they are the way that alerts us to something to pay attention to but most of us have an emotion and some people do this with positive emotion too like joy because they've tied joy to waiting for the other shoe to drop right i can't mm. be happy if i'm happy then every right. time i'm happy something terrible happens so it's not just the bad the negative emotions so people have an emotion that comes up and they're habitually they've been doing this for so long because maybe some person somewhere along the line when they were having emotions said stop being so emotional said boys don't cry or oh, you can't be angry, whatever it is. So somewhere along the lines, most of us have learned to stuff some one, two, three, four, or all of the emotions. Yep. And so we keep them inside. And so because they're inside, we don't understand that emotions really move pretty quickly if you allow them to. And so emotion starts to come up right it's coming up a little bit uh, uh, and it's really just a signal to your unconscious mind saying hello there's something i need you to pay attention to yeah. and but we're like oh no phone scroll 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 yeah. i'm paying attention keep my mind going moving 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 my mind is going i cannot 
I don't have to deal with that emotion. But one of the things, and I think some of you guys have heard me talk about this, like one of the things I love about meditation, or I just call it sitting. So sitting in the quiet. Now, I don't worry about how you breathe or any of that, but there are times when you'll start to feel uncomfortable, right? That feeling of uncomfort will come up and it's just an emotion that you've stuffed down at some point in your life that's trying to move. But the beautiful thing about doing it when you're just sitting is there's usually not a story attached to it. So if you sit through it, you're training your nervous system that you're not going to die that everything is okay and it always passes within a couple minutes right. and then you're you start to understand like oh this is how an emotion moves and the more you do it the easier it becomes right and you get to move those emotions through and i totally went off on a tangent i don't know where oh this that's began. okay no, that's all right. <laughs> you know, as a healer working as a healer as an energy healer to reiki practitioner I do a lot of work in that area of uh, first being able to sit with that emotion, but then really feeling. And, you know, we do this work in NLP, in too, where we sit with that emotion and, and figure out where that emotion is situated in your body. Right. And different places that different emotions and different energy is held, you know, and this is, is a tangent, too. But if, if it's held inside the body, I firmly believe it can cause sickness. It can cause a oh, lot yeah. of different things. And the easy remedy, the easy solution is just stop distracting ourselves from what's really going on inside us. Yeah. I think everything that we've talked about today can start right there. Yeah, really I agree. Looking in and just just stopping. And you don't have to do a guided meditation. You don't have uh -uh. to do anything. It's just sitting in the silence, sitting mm -hmm. in the quiet and the mystery and the love of the divine. However, whatever, however you view that starts to touch you and you can go inside and see that here's what I'm feeling. Here's this is important to me. And you start to gain clarity. You start to everything starts to deepen, I think. Yeah. I agree. Well, and it really comes down to, and I think, you know, again, going back to that one person's post about imposter syndrome, about being out of alignment. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing is our emotions tell us that something, it, it's just, they tell us that there's something to be paid attention to. And sometimes our emotion is a trigger from a past wound. Um, a lot of people don't actually realize that when your boyfriend or uncle or friend is pushing those buttons, it's, mm -hmm. it's actually something going on within you. It doesn't actually have anything to do with them. Right. It is some wound, some emotion that was stuffed and unprocessed mm -hmm. at some point in your life. And somehow this emotion is similar. The situation is similar because your unconscious mind is only tracking for what's, you know, what looks like something from before. It's not taking the nuance of like, well, this is George and that was Sally. So it's just like, oh, this feels a little bit like that thing with Sally. So I didn't process those emotions there. So now I'm going to like let them all out. Exactly. <laughs> and so 
we get in this place of really like not allowing stuff to move through and not being able to know what's right and true for us. And then we start doing things that are out of alignment and being an imposter of what's, you know, our, our big, huge, beautiful, powerful self. Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. I think that, um, you know, if we get down to it in its simplest form, it's all about love. And, I, you know, I believe that everything is all about love, but <laughs> not one of those hippie things either, you know, hippie things. Um, but I believe it stems from pure, number one, pure divine love. And number two, love for ourselves. I can remember the first time, and this wasn't that long ago. It's been within the past year. I've done a lot, a lot of personal work with a lot of different people. And um, I have a business coach that both Janae and I have worked with. And this person had me go to the mirror and mm, look in the great. mirror and set, look, look at myself right in the eye at myself in the mirror and say, I love you. You are worthy. You are enough. And the first time I did that, I couldn't even get through it. Right. I just bawled and I thought, what kind of voodoo is this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so simple could have such an effect. But it's just it's the simple thing of, um, you know, loving ourselves and wanting the best for ourselves and living that love, living it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it also comes down to, too, with that love, you know, so loving a lot of people know how to love how to put it out there but a lot of people cannot take it in don't know how to receive it right and that's the big thing and that's why that exercise the mirror work is so mm -hmm. powerful so yeah all this is actually a really good thing to do yep try it at home because I have a little feedback here in my ears. So I'm like, wait, can you guys hear the double echo? <laughs> mm -mm. No? Okay, great. So if you look yourself in the eyes and say, I love you, you are practicing receiving love. Mm -hmm. And it's if that's difficult for you, if you cannot do it for five minutes straight, it means you've got some stuff there. And, and you can celebrate that. You can be like, wow, this is something I get to work on. Yep. This is beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Something so simple. And I've had people, clients that I've worked with online that I've asked them to do that. And they're like, what? Why would you want me to do that? And I explain a little bit of it. And they, every single time, every single time without fail, they come back and they say, that was one of the most powerful things I've ever done in my life. And it took me three or four times just to get through it. I'm right. finding things out about myself. This is unbelievable. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's the simplest things that matter. Well, yeah. And it's as we really get down to it. So getting into the like, how do we start to break down that imposter syndrome? How do we 
get that out of our unconscious? How do we get it out of our everyday existence? So mirror work is a great one. Unwinding the beliefs, mm. like the beliefs deep down. And really like, this is a powerful thing you guys can do right now. So when you think about those voices you hear in your head, you call them the crappy friend, right? Yeah. When you think about those, if you close your eyes for just a moment, and think about those things you say to yourself, the negative things. And notice where are they in reference? Where mm. is the sound coming from? Is it coming from right here in front of you? Is it coming from up above? Is it coming from behind to the side? So if you take a moment, like Debbie, you could think for just a moment, one of those crappy voices, do it for just mm -hmm. a moment. Close your eyes and hear it. Where is it coming from? Mm, it's coming from my chest. Ah, from your chest. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a different one. So <laughs> sometimes, well, it determines whether it's sometimes if it's coming from you and some belief deep inside of you, or if it's coming from somewhere out here, up here, oh. it's usually, you got to think about, it. we pick up this stuff when we're little. If it's coming from behind you up here, who is that? Is that a that's going to be a parent or yeah. somebody else? Right. But, so it's a really great way to determine which of those beliefs and things that you're saying to yourself even come from you. So is it something that was said to you over and over, or is it something you chose to believe and accept as true at some point? So that even just that, knowing the one that's coming from inside, okay, I chose to accept this as true. And it came from some story that I made up at some point in time. Right. And if it's coming from over here or back here, you know, you know, it's somebody else said something and, you know, we're little, we're taking it all in. We just assume everything is true most of the time. So, and that's a big thing too, is when we are always accepting what everybody else says is true, we're not really starting to dip into what's valuable for us. Mm -hmm. You're right. Learning to hear and recognize the voices that we're even hearing those things and telling ourselves those things is important too. And one of the, one of the big things that I've worked with people, a very simple technique where they can be rattling on, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And they're, you know, when they first get on a session with you and they're telling you about things and they may, may be anxious and I'll go, stop, say your yeah. phone number backwards. And they'll be like, yeah. what? Come on, say your phone number backwards, say it backwards. And they'll, you know, start reciting that backwards and they'll say, what's that for? I'll say, well, what are you thinking? I've, right. And it's a good way to stop that thought in its tracks. And, you know, it takes practice. It's like going to a gym. You can't lift two, 300 pounds all at once. And your brain is exactly like that too. And retraining those thoughts is not going to happen one time by telling yourself that one time it's a, it's a reframing of being able to recognize, like you said, that story and determine, is this even true? And if it's not true, whose is it? Right. How was it given to you? Do you even right. know? And then 
telling yourself, what is the truth then? What is the truth that right. I'm a great artist, mm -hmm. no matter what I paint, I'm a great and, artist. And even, and even then just what is it that gives you more choice? Yeah. What gives you more possibility? If you're in a situation and you're backed in the corner, you maybe only have two choices, right? It's like fight or just drop dead, I guess. Um, but, but if all of a sudden they put their arm up like this and you can dip out, you all that that gives you another choice. So anything, any thought process that gives you more choice is going to open stuff up. Yes. And then of course, you know, there's, things you can do. You can work with somebody like me or like you to actually rewire some of those beliefs exactly. so that it creates a new neural pathway of the one you've been running your whole life. And let me tell you, the being that you are always wants to go for the easier path. Oh, it yeah. always does. So if you give it a new path, it will take it. You just get to step in and practice and then it just, it's flows super easily. It's so cool how instant this stuff can be. I worked with somebody while I was in Mexico. I just did, you know, 20 minutes. She had a fear of deep water and she never would even go into the ocean a little bit because she was afraid she would get sucked out. And so she went into, she was jumping and playing in the ocean. The lifeguard actually had to say, you know, you have to get out because it's getting a little too rough out here. And then she jumped off a boat into the ocean where she couldn't see the bottom. Wow. And, then, <laughs> and then after, you know, and swam to the beach and then swam back out to the boat. And so it's so powerful what you can do when you rewire and reprogram some of these beliefs like within you. Yeah. So Debbie, tell us a little bit about the stuff you have going on, the stuff you have to offer and what, um, and how for people to get in touch with you, what's your preferred method, right. if they wanna work with you. Tell us all yeah. the things. All the things, all the things. <laughs> yes. um, my, You can find me at my website, flowhealingmindbodyspirit.com. I have a Facebook, have a YouTube channel, um, got lots of cool things going on. There are courses on my site that are pre-recorded. I've got a lot of things that deal with uh, transmuting emotions through doodling, drawing lines. You don't have to be an artist to do it. In fact, if you're, hi, I just caught myself. You don't have to view yourself as a professional artist to do it. You don't need mm -hmm. any experience, drawing, painting, whatever. This is a thing that anybody can do. And the results of just drawing lines has been astronomical. Um, I'm also a Reiki practitioner and, and an energy healer. And on my website is a a button you can go to and, and it'll have it right there. When you first go onto my website, you can click on that, go right to my schedule calendar and you can book a, you know, book a session with me. I do uh, Reiki. I do um, energy cord cuttings. I do room clearings. Um, I do all kinds of stuff. I, I have a modality that I've done actually since I was 19 years old and it's called natural alignment. And it's a combination of energy medicine and um, 
that that process never ever ceases to amaze me every single time um got lots can of meditations people, on my website pardon can me? people do the energy healing online with you like over yes there? yes 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 yeah. energy is energy energy is energy right. i can either do it the the telehealth way you know on a zoom call or on phone or in person so i have all of those options you know on my website i'm easy to find um got a lot of cool free stuff lots and lots of workshops on youtube for free so you can connect with me a lot of different ways flow healing mind body spirit or on facebook debbie with a y d-e-b-b-y like you see on the screen meadows nice yeah and so if you want to work with Debbie or you're just more curious about her, definitely look into her stuff, sign up for her newsletter. And if you want to work with me, you can go to my website. I take people from self-sabotage to self-mastery. And you can find me at JeneaBarnes.com, G-E-N-E-A-B-A-R-N-E-S. You can DM me on Facebook or Instagram. And I'm going to have some workshops coming up pretty soon that if you're looking to kind of check some stuff out and not invest a ton of money, but really have some profound shifts in your life, I'm going to have some workshops coming up pretty soon. So get on my mailing list around self-worth, around money, and around body and body image. So that's going to be super powerful. Okay. I am so kind of sad that this hour is just about <laughs> over. <laughs> I know it passes so quick. I know. If yeah. you were unfun, then I guess it would be a long hour. But I because know. you are so much fun, it goes by too quickly. <laughs> we but I want to, yeah, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and thank you, Debbie, so much for being here to talk with us about Very imposter welcome. syndrome. Thanks again, and we'll see you guys next time on Self-Sabotaging Sagas.